Thank you for joining today. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different than my past episodes. For those of you that have been tuned in and listening, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. All the feedback and support is, man, it's overwhelming, and I appreciate it. Um, I want to start out by saying that the reason I wanted to do this podcast in the first place was to use the power of story and messy messages to inspire hope and change in my community, as well as other communities that have been ravaged by addiction. Have a little bit of transformation in a trap, if you will. I think that when you hear these stories from people who you may have gotten high with, you may have bought drugs from or sold drugs to or been locked up with or you've seen their mugshots plastered all over Fuzzbusters or Facebook due to their criminal activities that they had to do in the pursuit of their next high. I want listeners to go away with the message that if these people, if Jack can turn his life around, I can do it. If those people can do it, I can do it. I want to encourage them to take the first step to get from where they are now to where they could be to realizing some of their potential. I've also realized that I'm asking people to come on here and bear their soul, not only to me, but to the world. And I want to thank them for that. That's a very hard thing to do. It takes so much strength, courage, and bravery to make yourself vulnerable enough to tell people your dirty secrets or your diary entries. Sometimes these things are revelations to even yourself. You may have never told anybody. They may have never even told, said it out loud or admitted it to themselves. So I think these messages resonate a little bit more And in an effort to be as transparent as possible, I want people to come on here and be able to share their story without fear of judgment from anyone, myself included. And I've realized that I need to tell my story. I can't expect people to come on here and tell me their deepest, darkest secrets in an effort to give hope to somebody else when I won't do it myself. And, man, I've done it all. Um... If I haven't done it, I've seen it, and that's in no way a badge of honor. And I don't want to have my podcast misinterpreted as us glorifying war stories or old days. Um, Even though we might laugh at moments, I think that speaks to the growth of people to be able to look back on moments that might have broke them and be able to laugh at it or be able to say and know and accept that Everything in their life up to this point happened for a reason. And it ain't always good, you know. Sometimes bad stuff happens, and bad stuff happens for a reason as well. Um, So here we go. Here's my story. In life and on this podcast, I don't like to be a person that asks people to do something that I myself wouldn't do. And... I've realized that I haven't told my story yet. Um, The listeners don't know who I am to ask all these questions or even why I started this podcast in the first place. So today I've got my best friend, Caleb McCoy, on here to interview me and give you some of my diary entries. What's up, brother? How we doing today, man? Man, I'm good, man. I'm blessed. Uh, at this moment in time, I've, I'm living a life that I, I used to pray for. <laughs> I just said that to one of my buddies on the way to the house a few minutes ago. I started. I caught myself kind of complaining about how busy that we are and how much we have going on. And I was like, man, what am I talking about? Like, this is what I pray for. These are opportunities that that uh, you know most people. We never get to experience, you know, and God's given uh, us things like this to do. You know what I'm saying? Like we got to, we got to steward those things well. And um, so, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, man. And I'm, I'm honored to, that you, you allowed me to come on and kind of help guide the listeners and the audience that, that you're building right now along this journey so they can know who Jack is and, and, 
hear some of your testimony, man, and and hopefully it'll give somebody some hope and hopefully it'll inspire somebody, which I know that it will. Well, I appreciate that. I, my main thing is, you know, when I tell even just the parts of my story that I've told before is it's not to like, I don't want to draw attention to myself, but kind of I do because I want the people that are where we started to see that, you know, man, if Jack can do that shit, I can do that shit too. That's that's the message that I want to send. You know what I mean? Not to like downplay myself, but in that instance, where we started from to where we are now, man, anybody that is where we started from currently can do that too. And that's the message I want to send. That's the that's the message of of hope and recovery, you know, and just we, we get an opportunity, man, with so many people that we love and care about aren't here today, and so what do we do with that? You know, we I feel like we have an obligation to 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 do something for the greater good with our lives and and with this this second chance that we've got. Man, I couldn't agree with that more. I always tell people, you know. Uh, Especially with this past year, I've, I've, I've lost so many people close to me. You know, I lost my grandpa, which was, you know, everybody loses their grandpa, but that was tough for me because he was my father figure. I lost my younger brother to complications and I lost two cousins also, uh, first cousins, a brother and sister actually here recently. And I just feel like I should live my life to the fullest not only for me, but for them, because they didn't get a chance to. You know what I'm saying? Amen, brother. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of times as people in, in recovery, as people who have struggled with, with addiction, we have we have a sense of survivor's guilt, you know, and asking, ask God, like, why me? And I feel like you're past that point now, and you're you're saying, like, okay, God, like, you've given me, a, a huge purpose and I, it's it's my job to go out and see to 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 step into that you know and to help as people pull as many people as i can out of that chaos man and out of that hell and so you're doing that jack and and i'm i'm glad to be a part of your, your journey and uh i, I kind of want to start there just talking about how you and i first got as close as we have back in 2017 and just kind of taking the, taking the listeners that journey for just a second and how that all started, how brotherhood was, was kind of burst. Okay, man. Uh, well, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Don't start crazy stories though. Uh, no, I mean, I got to give it to them raw and unfiltered. <laughs> I mean, I really want to just say like, I don't remember if you remember when I first came in, uh, and you know how it is. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know, like, I used to sell drugs. Um, not that I was El Chapo or anything. I actually started out selling the drugs so I could do my drugs for free. And then it became the more that I sold, the more I could get high for free. And then I found that I could, like, sustain my habit and, you know what I mean, like, it was like a job. But being arrested was... <laughs> doubly bad for me in the sense that not only was I arrested, you know, that's bad for everybody, but I then like hit withdrawals, which I didn't really never do on, on the streets per se, because I always had my drug with me. So, um, I'm on like day three of withdrawals being locked up. You know, they caught me red handed, uh, I think with a gun or something. And, uh, so I knew I was going to sit down for a little while. Um, they took all my money because I had drugs on me, you know, so I didn't even, I made a free phone call and they, the lovely people at this institution, they were so nice to, you know, let me use the phone at like 4.30 a.m. on like a Tuesday. So my one free phone call did not get anybody, you know, like, so I'm kind of frustrated and I come down into C-Pod and, you know, I've been in Swain County detention center in North Carolina is what I'm talking about, but um, I'd been there before, and it it sucks to say that I was kind of comfortable in places like that, but I come down the steps. I'm getting ready to go in there and see, like, who I know, because 
um, you know, in the criminal drug world, it's all one. It's really small. Um, mm-hmm. but so, you know, a lot of people, even if you like, I could go to not only the reservation, but I could go to Silver Jackson. You know how it is. And everybody knows you. Well, I get downstairs and I'm taking my mat upstairs. And at the time, all the bunks were full, you know, and the bottom ones anyway. And there was like three open on the top. So I found one above somebody that I knew. And uh, I'm sitting there and I'm just, people's asking me what's happening. And I'm like, man, I'm, I didn't even feel like talking, you know, I was withdrawn. I, my body was aching. Here comes Caleb running up the stairs. Uh, <laughs> I had been in weeks at this point, just for the listeners to get a little <laughs> Well, here comes Caleb, and he's like, uh, hey, man, you got some chicken heads phone numbers? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who don't know, like, Chicken head is like a derogatory term for a girl who, you know, is out there in the drug world, you know, and uh, it, I was, I just remember looking at this guy and like, man, I can't even like, I'm trying to get a phone call and I'm not going to waste it on that, you know, and. uh, That's how it all started. That was our first encounter other than me buying drugs from you out on the streets a couple of times. Um, Paying with quarters. Paying with quarters, whatever I can count, man. It's the same. Yeah, it does, man. It does, you know really, we, You know how I You know how we do. Yeah, you know how we do, you said. Or you know how I do. Uh, <laughs> another another story I got to tell y'all while we're on it. Uh, Caleb just made reference to it. One time out in the streets, you know, before this encounter behind bars, um, I pulled up to Hungry Bear, which is a gas station on the res, and I seen Caleb, and he, I ain't going to lie, he had a very, very clean Chrysler 300. Is that what it was? Yeah, 300 Sport. Yeah. It was nice. It was nice, you know. And I'm like, okay, Caleb, you know, because like we alluded to earlier, like he had, he had paid me with quarters before, you know. So when I see him with his 300, I'm like, okay, Caleb, I see you. He's like, you know how I do, and I'm like, okay, I can't even say nothing. You know, his car's nicer than mine at this moment, and uh, he pulls off from the gas pump, and I pull up, you know, and I'm getting ready to put gas in my car, and I see that he had put like three dollars and twenty six cents into the, you know how I do, right? <laughs> but that's but, uh, one of that's one of the things I love about love about you, Jack, is your attention to detail. And your memory is is sharp, man. <laughs> you can you can remember all those intricate details of these stories and everything. That's funny. Sometimes, man. Sometimes there's been times where, like, I've I I'd be drunk or drinking. Uh, I don't know that I ever got drunk because I'd always be on like meth or cocaine. So like anytime I felt like I was getting too drunk, I'd do me a line and I'd come right back up, you know, sober up, if you will. Um, and then when I was doing pain pills and heroin and fentanyl, in addition with this alcohol, um, by all accounts, I should have been blacked out, like damn near comatose, you know, but since I had the uppers in my system, I was like walking around blacked out. You know what I mean? You ever done that? Mm-hmm. For sure. That's the worst, bro. Like, not the actual doing it. I mean, that's dangerous too, but you know, whenever it's the next day or two days from then or whenever it ends, whenever you come out of the fog and people are like, bro, do you know what you were doing? And you're like, oh, my God, was that me? And they're like, and then, you know, that's the dreaded two words. And then. (laughs) (laughs) For sure, man. Um, The worst is is when it's police officers telling you what you were doing, you know, or jailers. So, but I just, I appreciate that, man. I I, I remember saying sometimes it's like, uh, I can remember like that scene. I remember that scene at the gas station like it was yesterday, but I didn't remember it until like two months ago. I don't know what I was looking at. I think I might have seen a car. Or you no, you you posted something about running out of gas, remember? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and I, and it triggered that memory, and I just remember it like it was yesterday. So sometimes I have these flashbacks, and it's it's cool, I guess. But then sometimes, you know, I I don't know. I don't want to remember some stuff. I'm glad I, I don't. I'm glad I don't remember a lot of things. You know, put a pin in in some of this stuff for a minute, and we'll come back to all this. I, I want to get back up and let's uh, let's take the listeners down. Um, along along this journey with us as we as we start to talk about like who you are and where you're from, Jack, can you let okay. us know? Yeah, um, well, my name is Jack Smith, um, Jack Daniel, actually, and I tell people that, and they're like, "No way!" And I'm like, "Yes, way." You know, uh, I didn't believe the time you told me. And I bust out the ID on it. Well, not the ID; it's just the Indian card. The card. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, the uh the rap sheet, huh? Yep. Uh but yeah. Um born and raised in Cherokee, uh Wolftown. Um, I grew up I didn't know my father until I was older, so I just grew up with my mom for a little while. Um and then she met my brother's and sister's dad, who pretty much raised me. You know, I, I don't got nothing bad to say about him. He, a lot of stuff that I know today is what he taught me. You know, he didn't have to. Like, so, I mean, I, still to this day, the the side of his family that wasn't related to me, like, they still consider me family. You know, like. They're still like, what's up, cuz? Hey, cuz, you know, hey, nephew. Like, it's been all love on that side, you know. And, uh, I don't know. I had a, I guess I'd say, I don't want to say normal childhood because it, it wasn't normal. Um, but at the time, I thought it was normal because that's what not only my childhood was like, but everyone else, you know. Uh, I knew a lot of kids who, didn't know their dad or hadn't met him or wasn't in their lives. You know, I knew a lot of kids who had a stepdad. Um, growing up, my mom, she was, man, she's always been like, that is my dog right there. Like, <laughs> she's always had my best interest, you know, like, regardless of anything. And she never, I, I don't know that she drank. If she did, she, she didn't do it in front of us, you know, but, my stepdad, he didn't really drink either, but only in social gatherings, you know, which is, in Rez words, you know, a 49, a party or whatever, a little bonfire outside, you know. But he did, however, sell weed. And so from a young age, I was, I was around people that smoked weed. Uh, they'd drink on the weekends from time to time, pitch horseshoes and stuff like that. But it was never like a bad time, you know, Uh even the people that were around buying weed, you know, like I'm not going to say that weed isn't bad for you because I'm, I understand that it's a gateway for a lot of people, but I just wanted to allude to the fact that the crowd that you see coming to buy weed differs vastly from the crowd that you see coming to buy fentanyl. You know what I'm saying? So like it wasn't never like no crazy stuff. So, um, I just seen that. I just seen that. I seen people smoke weed. I seen people, you know, I seen my stepdad sell weed. Uh, there were times that in my life growing up, you know, cause we grew up kind of poor. What do you mean poor? Explain that to us. Well, my mom, she just, it was just my mom for a while. And, uh, how many siblings do you, is your mom raising along at this point? I got me, Greg, and uh, it's just me and Greg at the time. But then I didn't understand till later. Like sometimes my stepdad would be gone. You know what I mean? And I never mm -hmm. knew where he was. But in my older age, I understood that he was trying to keep a lot of because I think he dabbled in a little, in a little bit more than weed but he didn't have that crowd or that stuff around us. So he would leave and have to go do that and then come back. 
you know, but he, sometimes he'd leave for a while. But when I say grow up poor, like there were times, you know, and like, I don't know if this, I think this is just normal res life, but I'm not even sure that I remember eating potatoes and beans and cornbread, like all the time, bro. Like <laughs> when I say all the time, like, Eating goulash all the time, bro. Macaroni and tomato all the time. Like pretty much any meal that you could get out of that commodity box. And for those of you who don't know, commodities is a U.S. government ration of food for people who, you know, but what I guess say, you could say it's food. <laughs> not to get on too much tangent here, but what was your favorite? What was your favorite uh, commodity? Man, and I know that. I'm probably going to get ousted in the Indian country for this, for not going with the cheese, but I don't know if you've ever had, they quit making it in recent come odd years, but they used to have like this silver can that said luncheon meat on it. Oh man, come on, bro. That's what you're going to go with? Yes, bro. <laughs> bro. Man, I, I could, I'd tear a whole can of that stuff up right now probably if I had to. <laughs> And I don't even eat hey, like that, but my mouth watering. <laughs> but yeah, just just stuff like that, you know. Um, there's been some of those foods that, like, uh, somebody presented. Rachel made it for me the other day. She made me some uh, macaroni and tomato, but she didn't know what I'm telling you now, you know. So when she brings it to me, like instantly like without thought my face like scrunches up you know <laughs> it was involuntary i swear but she was like what's wrong with you and i was like i hate macaroni and tomato she was like well you didn't tell me i didn't i was like no it's nothing on you so then i proceeded to tell her about how we had to eat it all the time like and i just not that it's not good you know it's just anything you could eat filet mignon and lobster but if you eat it every day for 45 days in a row like you're probably gonna want something else so. Exactly. You know, we we've got your mom raising you and Greg. Your stepdad's kind of in and out, so you're kind of seeing seeing some of this happening and everything. How how is that shaping you? And that like looking back on it now, what what challenges did that give you? Did it instill? Did that make you have resentment towards your mom and towards your stepdad because that was going on or anything like that? No. Honestly, man, uh, um, my mom, uh, like you say, bless her soul. She was a college athlete, actually. She, uh, was playing basketball at Western Carolina when she was, got pregnant with me. And she always jokes around that I ended her career, but, uh, <laughs> she always kept us busy with sports. I mean, I remember like, I remember being like, I don't even know how old I was. I know it was the first year they had peewee football in like the little travel league or whatever. And I remember Michael Slee was on my team because he had just moved from Florida, you know, and he was a, he was a beast. But I also remember like playing up with the termites because they made it to the cracker bowl. And like on this termite team was like Jeremy Hyatt and stuff like Damian Solis, like, so I was playing up like these people like graduated when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, you know what I mean? So I was playing up a little bit, but um, basketball, baseball, football, and, you know, when you play those three sports, pretty much all you leave is just summertime, you know, that that pretty much covers all the phases, but summertime and in summertime, we were just, I ain't going to say we were running crazy. My mom did a really phenomenal job at keeping us out of places. Um, she was, she wouldn't let us go nowhere because, you know, she hurt, she, there'd be somebody drinking over there or, you know, she didn't feel like this parent, like she felt like this parent let their kid like have too much freedom and that wasn't our scene. So, I mean, she kept us, um, pretty much in line, you know? And yeah. It wasn't until I got older that I really started uh, doing my own thing, I guess. Um, we, well, so as your, your mom's got, got all in sports and everything, 
when did you kind of develop that love for for basketball? Man, I've I've I watched basketball from the time I was little. You know, that's what my mom watched. Um, I've got baby pictures of me and like Jordans and stuff. You know, so like Nikes. Um, it's just what we was exposed to, I guess. Um, she didn't really know too much about football. I remember she used to get me up early and like we'd watch because we just had a basic cable vision, you know, I'm pretty sure it's like 20 channels, you know, and that's, I think that's me being generous, but Florida state used to play on ABC and NBC all the time. And, uh, mm-hmm. I used to get up and watch those, you know, and she'd watch it with me. And like, I mean, it was, I guess from a young age, she just, she loved basketball. That was her outlet. So she was showing me her outlet and how she dealt with things, you know, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, but it just, it came natural to me. It still does. I mean, I'm still 34 years old playing basketball whenever I can. Uh, it's just fun. You know, it's just relaxing to me. Uh, I guess she kind of passed down her, her peace to me through basketball. You know, that's where she found her peace. I felt like, so I feel at peace there, you know, um, yeah, I I can relate with that too myself. My dad used to always talk about you know him running and everything and and uh, how good at running he was. And so like having that seeing you reconnect to that so strongly to that to that love for basketball that you and your mom shared and, and Greg too, right? I mean all all y'all yeah just love to be you know love to play ball and everything love to follow the sport but like it, it's cool to to kind of see you go back to your first love as far as sports go and kind of where it's taking you now and the opportunities that it's giving you now which we'll dive into that a little bit later but i just kind of wanted to make that connection yeah um you, you know it sounds like i mean, I knew your mom was an angel but <laughs> your mom's awesome man I, I love i love angela and um you had a lot of great people around you growing up with your grandpa, with your mom, you know, growing up with so many cousins and people around, like helping you to stay out of trouble and everything. How did, when did, when did you notice, like looking back now, when did you notice that you started, things started to come off the rails a little bit? Like what, what was that time in your life like? Um, I would say I didn't. I don't say it necessarily came off the rails, but I I actually went to Sequoia High School, which is in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, and it's a mm-hmm. it's an all Indian school. It used to be a boarding school. I, I don't know if it's still considered a boarding school, but I went out there, and like I said, you know, we my mom did have a village for real. Like she'd be like. And this was back before cell phones, back before location, Snapchat, Instagram, all that. You know, I could be somewhere I wasn't supposed to be, and the house phone would ring because that's what they had back in our day. You know, and the house phone would ring. Jack, your mom's on the phone, and I'm like, "What? How does she know I'm here?" You know, and she's like, "What are you doing? Why are you over there?" You know, and I'm, I can't say I'm not here. You know, and I couldn't even like be like. She would do it so sly, I guess, that she'd make it seem nice that the person wouldn't be alarmed that, hey, your mom's calling. You know, how did she know you're here? She, was, she I guess she made it seem like she, I told her and she knew and she just had to ask me something or whatever. But, man, I swear it never failed, man. If I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, my mom was hearing about it. My mom knew before I – my mom knew what I was going to do before I was going to do it, you know. And uh, <laughs> I know but when I got – but when I got to Sequoia, right, uh, I was in a boarding school. So, like, the, my junior year, or my first years, I stayed in the dorms, right? And in the dorms, it's pretty much, you know, there's only so much you could do. You had freedom, but you didn't because you still had, like, RAs watching you and stuff. And But on the weekends, if you got somebody on your checkout list, which was usually somebody that lived in Tahlequah or close enough to Tahlequah where they didn't have to live in the dorms. They'd be like, hey, man, you want to come home with me? And, I mean, 
I went so many places. Like I went to different states and stuff like that with friends that I met at Sequoia. But a lot of times whenever they were from Tahlequah, they'd be like, hey, we're going to a Tahlequah party tonight or whatever. And Tahlequah was a pretty big place. I mean, people there won't tell you that, but there's like five or six high schools in like a 30-mile radius, you know, like big schools. So they be like, hey, we're going to this. And Tahlequah, I don't know if they're Class 5A, Class 6A. Have you seen that school? I have, yeah. It's huge, right? I speak at the, uh, I spoke at the chapel. Yeah, it's, it is a huge school. So imagine, like, coming from Cherokee to that place. I never got to go to a party in Cherokee, so I didn't really know what a party was, right? Then I get to Sequoia. And I go to a, a party at Tahlequah or some Tahlequah parties, which ends up being NSU, which is Northeastern State University, the college right there in Tahlequah also. And, I mean, we go to this party, and there's like 100 people there. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> not a parent in sight. Not a house phone ringing. Angela wasn't in my ear. So, I man, I remember the first time I went, I got so drunk, Caleb. Like, man. One of them times, like, uh, just sloppy, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so I didn't go off the rails there, but I had a little bit more freedom, and I explored it that, I mean, as much as I could. And then my senior year, I actually lived off campus. Uh, one of my best friends in high school, um, uh, his name is Zach Goodrich, uh, his mom became my legal guardian so that I could uh, not have to live in the campus, not have to live in the dorms for my senior year. Because at the time, I was taking a lot of college visits for football and stuff. Um, so, so were you so were you partying yeah. a lot whenever you was going to Sequoia? Was this, was this a pretty... Was like, uh, probably like maybe... I don't know. I was going to a party once a week, probably on a weekend, either a Friday or a Saturday. Um, my senior year, I actually, when I lived off campus, you know, I got into a little bit more shit. Uh, I started dabbling in weed. Um, well, I had smoked before off and on, but when I say dabble, like I was actually have, I met somebody who, you know, he was, cool i'm doing air quotations right now cool in the sense that he gave me some weed to sell you know he didn't know me from tom hey man i need you to bring me back such and such time he even showed me how to sell it which i already knew from growing up you know like i had seen i had the gist of it already you know uh yeah. even when my friends started smoking like i knew how to roll not saying I was a professional roller, but I had seen my stepdad and his friends roll up enough joints that I pretty much had the hang of it. You know what I mean? I felt yeah. like I could do it, and I did it. So I had the confidence from that. So and I also had the confidence to sell this week. So I was just dabbling here and there. Um, I was not really, you know, I wasn't smoking, like, all the time, but at these parties, you know, I'd bust out the weed, you know, hey, I got 20 bags, 20 bags, whatever, and then we'd smoke weed, get drunk, whatever. Um, so is this the first time that you got high? No, I had gotten high when I was probably like 12. Um, I stole some of my stepdad's weed. Me and my friends went outside, rolled the shittiest joint probably ever known to mankind. We didn't have no papers. We weren't old enough to buy no papers. We were on Washington Creek. Closest store was, huh? You used tampon paper? No, we should have. We used uh, we used newspaper, bro. Like, <laughs> uh, like straight up Cherokee one feather, like. And you might ask how we got it to stick. Uh, we used chapstick, so. <laughs> And we we didn't like <laughs> we didn't tear off a piece of newspaper where they're like thinking about oh we're gonna be like smoking this in a minute like so we just like cut a perfect square out of the newspaper like words on it and all so like when I tell you we we lit up this joint and there was every color of the rainbow in that smoke man I'm, it looked like an oil slick you know how it's all shiny and stuff I think yeah, it's from the yeah. 
A, the newspaper burning, B, the the ink on said newspaper, or C, the chapstick, you know. But <laughs> So you start, okay, so you started smoking, but when you you first smoked when you were 12, you, yeah. you were high, high to go to school when you are what, 15? Somewhere yeah. Yes, so sir. during this, were you, were, did you continue to, to smoke pretty regularly? I mean, was this becoming a normal thing for you or? Nah, it was just, a, you know what I mean? All, me and my brother got into a lot of stuff, but we only really like ever done that when other people were around, you know what I mean? Like, cause we thought that's what people did, you know, like we thought when your friends came around, you smoked weed with them, you know what I mean? Where do you think that came from? Maybe seeing all the the parties and stuff growing up, because like I was saying, my some of my best memories are with my stepdad, like because he took us like fishing, he took us hunting, he took us to the beach, Daytona Beach for the first time in my life I had ever been to the beach, you know, and I don't know that he would have been able to do these things without the money from selling the weed, you know. Um, mm-hmm. My dad was the same he, way, you know. Having extra things growing up, you know, he was hustling on the side. He was he was selling selling weed on the side, and so that became you know that's that's normalized, right, and glamorized in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I mean, I do relate to your story as far as that goes. I mean, like, what was why did you keep going back? What did it give you, Jack? Like, whenever you got high, what was that helping you deal with, do you think? Or was it just you being a, a teenager, you know, exploring and trying different different crap, you know? what was I think it? that was it. I was just being curious, you know? Uh, I didn't really... I mean, I've always been a laughing person, you know? So I think that with that, you know, everything becomes funny, you know? Uh it was just having fun as a teenager, I think. I wasn't really smoking down like that, I would say. Just it was more or less just social. Did did your mom ever catch you? Uh she didn't catch me red handed. Like she didn't catch me in the act, but she'd be like, Boy, your eyes are red or mm-hmm. I remember one time one time she freaking uh I came home, like, she had called me because I was with my cousins up above us on Washington's Creek, and they're older than me, you know, and, like, we were up there smoking down, listening to music. They were drinking beer, but at the time, I didn't want to drink, you know what I mean? I took a taste of beer, and it was disgusting. Uh-huh. Um, so I was just smoking weed, hanging out with them. We were playing basketball, you know, like, it was, they had music that my mom wouldn't let me listen to, per se. My mom would let me get what? the edited CD from Walmart. Remember that? What was it? They were listening to music that my mom wouldn't let me listen to because it, it oh. was theirs was explicit, you know, and mine was edited from Walmart. <laughs> what was you so listening we, to? We was actually listening to uh, "Ain't Nothing But a G Thing." Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, this is like probably like two thousand, two thousand one. You know, the Chronic had just dropped, like. My friends up there, they're really like West Coast, like, you know, they, uh, I actually think a couple of them live on the West Coast. Um, I'm not sure though, but I remember she called up there to my cousin's mom's house and she came up there and like, I always knew my mom was calling because my cousin's mom, she'd come up and be like, Jack, time to go home. You know, like, so she, she did that and she, she came out. She, she didn't, normally she said it in a laughing manner, like, Jack, it's time to go home. Cause she always told my mom I could spend the night, but my mom knew what was going on up there. So she didn't let us only sometimes. But, um, she came out this time was like, Jack, time to go home. And I'm like, uh, and she wasn't smiling, wasn't laughing. I was like, oh crap. She was like, you better hurry. So. But I get home and my mom's not, she, she's normally she's on a porch, on a couch waiting on me, you know, like she had a flair for the dramatic sometimes, you know, I'd come in the house, she'd be sitting on the couch in the living room, but where she could see the door, you know, like, you know how it is as a parent. I, but, we're waiting on you to come through it. Yeah, she wasn't there that night. I was like, okay. Um, so I'm tipping, t- 
tiptoeing through the house like the Grinch when he stole Christmas, trying not to make no noise, and uh, nobody comes out. I go in the kitchen, I open the fridge, and that's normal when she come flying out. She thought I'd been smoking because she was like, got the munchies. Well, um, she didn't come out. I got a drink out of the fridge. Uh, I looked by the, by the by the stove, and there's like a steak cooked under a plate. You know, I see a plate with covering up on and aluminum foil on. Open it up, there's a steak under there. I'm like, oh my god, who is? And I'm stoned at this point. <laughs> I gobble the steak down. I I'm trying to hide it. Your eyes, bloodshot. I go back in there, right? And, like, I see more plates of foil on them. I look again, there's steaks on all of them. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that was my steak I just ate. I'm just going to take a piece off of everybody else's. Man, I end up eating all of them steaks. My mom was like, I know you're hot. You ate all these steaks, you know, but I don't know. That's that's one time it sticks out in my memory. Uh, but like I said, she was... She was always honest. Like, if she knew, I don't know if half of it was that she thought I was smoking or just knew that they were smoking where I was at. You know what I mean? I'd love to hear your mom's thoughts if she was just choosing to be naive because I don't, I don't see her. I mean, I see her calling you out if she knew about it. You know, like, I, I don't see her just let that skate by. But that's kind of hard to do. Like, I found out with with when we, Caitlin and I found out that my my son be smoking, we kind of just tried to write it off. We're like, no, he wouldn't be doing that. Like, I wonder if that's what your mom was doing. Probably. I mean, because at the time, you know, uh, I didn't allude to this, but I was all right. I was pretty good at sports, you know. Um, I was actually pretty good in the classroom as well, you know, like. Principal's honor roll, AAR, student of the month, like all this stuff. So it might have made it easier for her to say, not my son, especially then, you know. Mm -hmm. If my son was smoking weed, he wouldn't be out here uh, winning championships with his football team, his basketball team. He wouldn't be getting straight A's, you know. So I understand what you're saying. And as a parent now, you know, there's been so many times where she's, be like when when you're a parent you'll understand and yeah. I mean I have so many of these moments like sometimes I'll just call him like mom sorry like I understand <laughs> that's all it and so, I see the other day and we're we're in Florida and it said mom you were right about a lot of shit <laughs> yeah. that's so true man mom knows best like I, I would love to hear Angela's thoughts on like what was going on at this time, what what she thought was going on at this point in time in your life. But um, so you're kind of we're definitely going to get into that in just a few minutes. Um, just taking us through your your high school years and how you kind of transitioned. So tell us tell us a little bit about that journey as far as the sports and academic side of things goes. Well, uh, I got to Sequoia and we were, uh, I was, basketball is my thing. They were really good at basketball. Um, so at the time, I think the girls ranked like number 17 in the nation or some, something like that. Like they won like their, I, won, I think it was their third back to back to back state championship, I think, when I was a senior. And, so athletics was a really big deal out there. Um, mm -hmm. Like I said, I always loved basketball, but I had a coach named Bill Scott, a uh, legend in Oklahoma, RIP. But he told me one day, he said, son, I know you love basketball, but you're just not tall enough. And I remember looking at him and I was like, man, I'm pretty, I'm pretty tall. You know, he was like, you're tall here you're tall in high school when you get to college if you want to go play college ball you're going to have to be a guard or you're going to have to go to a smaller school if you want to be a big man which is what you are but son you got the perfect size for football that's what he told me all them schools you want to go play at in basketball 
probably ain't going to recruit you because you're too short. But you can go play football at these schools, you know. And at the time, I was like, you know, I didn't know what he meant. He was like, just, just come out here with me. Just come. At the time, I wasn't playing football. Um, so I go out there, and he shows me all kinds of stuff, you know. And, like, uh, lo and behold, you know, we have a couple camps. I go to a couple camps. And, you know, like the first camp I went to, I got a, I got a uh, scholarship offer from like uh, a small school in Arkansas, Arkansas Baptist or something, you know, but it was the first time I went to a football camp, you know, and they're like, Hey, we want you. And I'm like, Oh, he wasn't lying. You know? So what I, position? I, I played defensive end, defensive tack, defensive line, I guess you would say, because all the positions are pretty much interchangeable now, but I went yeah. for defensive line. Um, I actually, Signed with North Carolina, or I was going to go to North Carolina out of high school. Um, but where I went to Oklahoma, they didn't have the same academic regulations as the state of North Carolina in the fact that North Carolina's high school curriculum is such that when you pass it, you're automatically ready to go to any North Carolina state school for college. Mm-hmm. You got your prep courses and everything ready for a four-year degree, four-year university? Yeah. Yeah, but when I got to Oklahoma, Oklahoma wasn't the same. They were in line with the Oklahoma State Colleges. So instead of a math and a science, you you took a Native American history and an Oklahoma history instead of extra math and extra science. Well, the spring semester of my senior year, like the academic advisor from uh, North Carolina, he called and he told me, hey, man, you need a math and a science Um if you don't take this math and science, you're not going to be, you won't be able to, we can't admit you, you know, um, there's summer school coming, but you can only take one of the classes cause they're at the same time. We do have another route for you though. Uh, we work closely with, uh, I think it was, uh, Butler community college in Kansas. And they were like, you go there, you uh your grades are right you just need those classes so you're just gonna go there get the classes you need you know play for a year and then come over here and you know at the time i'm like crushed bro like crushed um i done told everybody i was going to north carolina like me and my mom and adam went on a visit like uh crushed bro devastated um uh-huh. I go visit the little junior college, bro, and it's smaller than the high school that I was at. Like, the facilities are run down. They ended up winning a national championship, I think, either that year or the next year, JUCO. But, man, I was just in such a bad mind frame from that that, like, I don't know. I I was just like, fuck this place. You know what I mean? Like, I go from – and North Carolina at the time had just built Keenan Memorial Stadium. Like, you can ask Angela about this. Like, we're going in there. At the time, the grass was still natural, and they have like a hundred signs on the field, Caleb. Stay off the grass. Keep off the grass. Well, Adam's with us, and Adam's like six years old. We go out on that stadium. What's the first thing he does, Caleb? He runs straight for that grass, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God. My mom's like, Adam, Adam. And a coach from North Carolina, he's like, no, nah, it's all right. It's all right, you know, so like. Man, at that moment, I was like, man, they, they, um, I, this is really happening. You know, we went and seen all the stuff. They were, they were like, yeah, my mom wanted me to go to another school. We had just visited and, uh, they were talking about at the other school how they had just got a new Nike contract or whatever. And, uh, the coach from North Carolina looked at my mom and he said, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but since your mom brought it up, uh, we currently have the largest Nike contract in America. And I had some Jordans on. He's like, those are Jordans? You can get two pairs of those every month. And, bro, <laughs> I was already sold before this, you know. So now I'm like, yep. Yeah. So when it, when that fell through, man, and then I went from that to to 
a junior college facilities, and it's nothing against junior colleges. They're great places, but in my mind frame, you know, I I wasn't that wasn't for me at the time. Uh, I think there's there's a there's a good lesson in there, and I'm sure that if you could go back and talk to seventeen, eighteen year old Jack, you'd be like, hey, bro, you know, make, make the best of this opportunity and bloom where you're planted, and uh, you know, come on up and. It's going to make you even more appreciative and grateful, you know, for the yeah. next step of your journey. But you uh, know, we don't have that wisdom when we're freaking. We we know every damn thing, and we, we when we want something, we want it now. You know. Yes, my money. I need it now. That's what I think about every time. But um, so from there, I get back to Sequoia. I'm I'm, I'm bummed. Uh, at the time, my, my high school girlfriend then tells me she's pregnant, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, when it rains, it pours, you know. I call my mom, my football coach makes me call my mom. Like, I'm already mad about the North Carolina thing. I'm even madder about going to this JUCO thing. Then this girl tells me she's pregnant, you know. Then I tell my coach, and I'm like, what do I do? And I, he's already sitting there dialing my mom's phone number. He's like, we're going to get this over with. And I was like, oh, my God. I call my mom. I was like, hey, Mom. She's like, what? I was like, uh, my girlfriend's pregnant. And she's like, I knew it. And I was like, you're not mad? She's like, what good's being mad going to do? <laughs> She's already <laughs> pregnant, you know? So, um, so all this is happening. Uh, but then in walks this dude, uh, Bobby Rhodes is his name. Uh, wide receiver coach at the time for Central Arkansas University. Uh, comes in, tells us, hey, man, heard about your bad luck. Uh, we kind of had some bad luck, too. We had a wide receiver signed from right down the road here, and he decided he's going to declare for the MLB draft. But the good news is we got a scholarship. We got a spot for you. <laughs> so I'm – I remember distinctly saying, Central Arkansas, what is that? You know, and I, he was like, come visit us tomorrow. So the next day I go visit. You know, it's a nice school. Like, it's 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 not the junior college, you know. Where's uh, that? It's in Conway, Arkansas. That's about 30 minutes from Little Rock. And it was only like two and a half. It was only like two and a half hours down I-40 from Tahlequah, so – it ended up being a all right situation. I went there. Um, I made a lot of great friends, teammates. I still talk to today. You know, uh, there I got, I got, I got injured there. Okay. Um, wait, wait, when did? Hang on, before you hop into that. So you go to Central Arkansas, and. You, what, where do they position you at? And then, like, how long, how long were you on the team before this injury happened? Uh, I think it was the first year, second okay. year, You're, first year. Did you get redshirted? Yes. Okay. I went through, I went through my redshirt freshman season. Um, Then in the springtime, I, I I noticed that my shoulder was hurt, you know, and I had a little procedure done, and they gave me a uh, Roxy Twenties. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's a very powerful pain pill that is probably responsible for the opiate op- epidemic in the sense that. When it first came out, Big Pharma said that it was non-habit forming. Um, mm-hmm. You couldn't get addicted to it. So here I am, uh, 19 years old, um, at college, which is also which is a culture shock for me, also because I'm the only Indian there. You know, I got people asking me, "What are you? Are you Indian? Are you never Indian? It wasn't never Indian first. Eskimo, Alaskan, Hawaiian." Uh, Chinese, Mexican, uh, so I'm like, I feel like I'm on an island here, you know, and I got these pills, and at the time, the doctor couldn't tell me 
in hindsight, I used to think, man, he should have just told me that these are addictive. But he couldn't have told me that at the time because at the time, everyone was under the impression that they were okay, they were safe. Uh, they were going to revolutionize modern medicine, you know. Um, he did tell me, son, you weigh about 298 pounds. Take one to two as needed for pain. So I get to my uh, room. Shoulders hurting. I take one. Uh, I didn't know that you had to wait a little bit to take this. I mean, for after you take it, for it to for you to feel the effects of it, you know. And I want to say I waited like twenty, thirty minutes, but you know, in hindsight, you know, when you're in pain, whenever when you're in a stressful situation, time. <laughs> seems to tick a lot faster than it actually is you know so in actuality my 20 minutes might have been 10 you know and I took two of them and uh, about 30 minutes later you know I was slobbering on myself woke up like felt like I was floating you know like um, I was high for the first time and I liked it. Compare it to something. What did that feel like? Now you you said you liked it. What was it that, that you loved about it, that you liked about it? Man, it just made everything go away in a sense that, like you said, I had a village behind me, you know, and I didn't want to tell nobody that I was hurt. Uh, I didn't want to let nobody down. I didn't want to let nobody down. I had helped my mom take me to practice. I had helped my mom with gas money to come watch me play. They had given me a ride home from the game, you know, because my mom had to work. Like, I felt like I was letting all these people down. One, by not being in North Carolina, which is totally crazy in hindsight, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Two, that, you know, I, I was hurt, you know. Um, I just... uh I had never really been hurt like that before, my up shoulder or anything like that. You know, like I, at the time I couldn't even like lift my my hands weight with nothing like above like, I had like twelve percent range of motion, and they were like, it's going to be hard for you to play football again with this type of injury. Your shoulder's just going to keep popping out of place, and and it did. Uh, they weren't lying. In that moment when you're high, when I was high, nothing else mattered. And I got used to that feeling for a long time. When I'm high, nothing else matters. When I say nothing, I mean nothing. You understand? How did it begin? I mean, Grace, how fast and progress to getting out of control? Uh, well, I mean... It didn't really get out of control at first. I mean, I ran through the pills. Don't get me wrong. I ate them all. I ate them all. I got some more. I was going back to the doctor to tell him, hey, man, I think y'all missed something in my shoulder. Like, this shit still hurts. Um, I need some more pain pills. I had a whole story prepared. When I get in there, though, and I start my little soliloquy, uh, the doctor stops me and is like, you need more? You need more pills? You need more pain pills? Yeah. Here you go. Throws me some more. Um, I didn't go to class for that for that year. Um, I just quit playing football. I figured if I couldn't play football, why go to class? Plus, I was just too high most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. I'd get up. I'd take a pill. You know, I'd go to class for the test, you know, because, you know, Although I was injured, I was still on the football team. So, like, we still had people that would, like, look out for us. Hey, your teacher's having a quiz today or some stuff like that, you know. So, I'd show up on those days. Um, I was smart enough to just maintain, I guess. Uh, but I ended up getting uh, – I dropped out of my spring semester classes. Like, the, I didn't take the finals. Like, when I say I dropped out, I mean, I literally, I want to say the last week of school, I just said, fuck this shit and left, you know. Um, I came home to North Carolina. 
I told my mom, I don't even know if I told her anything. She was just like, what the hell are you doing here? And I kind of didn't say nothing. I kind of made it, I made up an excuse to like, you know, I don't like that school. Fuck that school. So I'm going to do what I should have did in the first place and go to the small school and then transfer to North Carolina. That's what I'm going to do. And I had a coach from a small school uh, give me a scholarship. I went to the small school. Where at? Uh, in Kansas. Uh, I didn't. I didn't really play. I played, but I didn't, you know. By this time, I'm not 298 no more. I'm about 260. Um, a lot of that was because I did lose a lot of muscle mass and stuff when I wasn't able to lift, but most of it was from me being on pain pills, you know. Uh, there'd be times if I didn't have a pain pill, I just wouldn't go to practice. Um, and so the coach would bench me, even though I came from a bigger school. Uh, which at the time I was like, fuck this coach. That's why he's at this little school, you know, because I knew everything. Um, not that he sees I might have a problem, you know. Uh, I remember one time just checking out, bro, like at an away game at that, like on a team bus, you know, like I had two pills and I took both of them. Like it was snowing. I didn't want to play in snow. We're playing in like North Dakota or something, and it was like six inches of snow on the ground. It's like 12 degrees. And bro, I took two pills, knocked out on a bus, and told the coach I didn't feel good. Like, straight up. <laughs> At this point, I still had some of my big money from our per cap, which uh, a per cap is a dividend check that we as Eastern Band tribal members get off the profits of our casino. And you don't get it until you're 18. So until you're 18, it's putting a trust for you. And then when you're 18, they give it to you. Mm-hmm. At, least they, at least they did whenever I was younger. They gave me the whole lump sum. Uh-huh. Now they give them. Portions. Portions, yeah. So I so, think they, get, they stagger it now because of the way that my generation blew through it, I feel like. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean how what kind of what kind of good decisions are kids going to make with 30 40 all the way up to $100,000 whenever they change the ruling you know what i'm saying like there's there's very rarely going to be any good decisions or any kind of good purchases bought from an 18 year old with that much money yeah so, so you're you got this big money you're out at a, on on a different football team you're using using these pain pills to kind of escape and what what happens? What's what what's that breaking point at this school? What what's what transpires while you're out there? Bro, after like the spring semester after football season, I don't I don't even know if I was enrolled in school, bro. I just roll around campus, you know, I'd be high as shit all the time at this point. You know, I've pre- I've started selling weed a little bit so that I can uh, offset the spending I have for my pills, you know, and just so, like, I still didn't tell nobody I had a problem. I mean, I don't even think that I could admit to myself at that time that I had a problem. So to maintain the illusion of me not being strung the fuck out, I'd always be smoking weed. So somebody was like, hey, man, like, why are you so tired? Like, why are you nodding off and shit? And I'm like, oh, well, this weed, you know, so... um. When did you go ahead? When did you finally? What year was this? And when did you finally move back to Cherokee? This was 2009. I moved back 2009. Uh, okay. For a little while there, I I uh, I couldn't afford the pills. Um, I moved to Oklahoma in 2010. I moved around here and there, uh, ended up getting with my baby mama. Um, for there was a period from like 2010 to like 2015 where I was okay in the sense of I didn't yeah. do pain pills. I moved away from them. I moved away from where I was getting them in school. I moved away from them in North Carolina. Um, I had two beautiful daughters with my baby mama, 
uh, I was living my life out there um, up until about 2015. You know, I hadn't really, for about a five-year gap, I thought I was okay, you know. Um, I drank, uh, I smoked weed, but I didn't do pain pills. I maintained a job during this time. Uh, I think I went to school during this time. I was very involved in my children's life every day. You know, I was I was being the dad to them that I never had. Um, and everything seemed to be going okay until one day in like March of 2015. I think it was like March 7th. My friend comes over and he's like, bro, you got to try this. And I was like, what? And like, we smoked weed all the time, me and this guy. And so I thought he had some like new weed or something. And man, he pulls out a little pink inbox, um, which coincidentally was the first pill I ever took in my life. Um, I didn't even think twice about it, Caleb. After going five years without seeing it, without thinking about it, nothing, bro. I just took it and ate it. Asking for another how, one. How were you doing the other pills before, whenever you were prescribed? Like, were you, were you? I was still, you, I was still just eating them at this time. Uh-huh. Just swallowing them like you're supposed to. Well, when I say like you're supposed to, I mean not crushing them up and snorting them or not, not smoking them. Um, I was just taking them with water or whatever. Uh, I was just taking a lot more than I was supposed to at once. Um, so my life, like that was really when the spiral began, I would say. Uh, I don't even know if you can call it a spiral. Uh, the spiral is kind of gradual going down, you know, because it has to go around the circles. But my descent was pretty pretty rough, you know. When I had got this pill, me and my my the mother of my kids were having trouble already. Um, mm-hmm. Just normal relationship stuff, and so I think that I'm not trying to place blame on anything, but that stressful situation and not being able to see my kids when I wanted to had me like in the perfect storm, I'd say for. That pill, you know what I mean? Not the perfect storm, but the set of circumstances was ideal for that. And I just compounded it by doing the pill. And then I went from being away from the pills, um, thinking they're out of sight and out of mind, to them being in my face and me having access to them. So that's when I started. I, I just picked right back up and like I never stopped. 